Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is available in Belfast. It's a rhyme. Clever. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to review Belfast at the end. We're going to first talk about what we've been watching and we'll talk about real news. Well, as is customary, James, how are you? I'm well, and my car is fine as well. After I took it to Halfords, one of my headlights, my left car headlight was out. I was mortified to realise it because I don't have many car problems. Took it to Halfords. I thought it was, uh, you buy it, we'll put the new headlight in straight away because it's advertised as fit while you wait. It was a 70-minute wait to put it in. Go to TK Maxx, go to Aldi, go to all the, go to Dunelm, all the, the other shops on that like retail park. Go back, go out with the guy, pop your, pop your hood, turn your lights on. And then he said, it's back on, mate. <laughs> all it was, was that the connector at the back of the headlight was loose. So you just had to push it very slightly back in with the hood open, push it back very slightly, fixed, done. And I felt like that was a masculine embarrassment that I couldn't fix it by myself. You you are not alone. I'm in that same boat. I, I know nothing about cars. So I've had um, on my car, it pop up saying, oil change and inspection due. And I'm like, I'm not qualified for this. I, d- I don't know what's involved. Yeah, I can take the oil stick out. Has that changed in the last 10 years? I've no idea. Once I've wiped it and I go, I think it's all right. Say it's not all right. What do I do at that point? I just don't have the foggiest. I'm not a real man by society's standards. So I can sympathize. I think I'm just going to take it to Halfords for the oil check. Yeah, that's what I would would do. If I just Googled it, it it probably would have said, the first thing to do, just push the back of it in and it'll connect again. Well, hindsight is a great thing, isn't it? Yeah. But never mind. Speaking of hindsight and looking into the past, what have you been watching in the past week? Do you remember a few episodes again now? A few episodes ago, I think it was. I said I'm going to broaden my streaming content choices and entertain some fluffy and lighthearted stuff. I did intend to do that, but I don't know about you, that the whole of the world has continued to disappoint me. And I just feel like... I. I'm not in that mindset. Well, I'm not, what's the point of thinking of brighter times ahead? There probably isn't any, so I'll just wallow in darkness. So I've slipped back into being that guy. Don't blame me. Blame the world. I watched John and the Hole. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Okay, Is it about John you. burying bodies in a hole? That's not far off. So the plot synopsis from IMDb tells us it's a coming-of-age psychological thriller that plays out the unsettling reality of a kid who decides to hold his family captive in a hole in the ground. Uh, And that pretty much is an accurate description, but it's not probably as clear-cut as it would suggest. So there's a lot of internalised stuff with this lad who did said putting his parents in a hole. And he's basically put them in this abandoned bunker not too far from his house. And you're, you're not privy to his motivations. Why is he keeping the family there? Is his end goal for them to die? Is it a form of revenge? Does he just feel unseen? You don't know. You just don't know. And a lot of the tension hinges on you being as in the dark as the family as to why he's done it. 
And I'll be up front with you, it definitely isn't concerned with giving you the answers to those questions. It's a film that, unlike a lot of things, it respects you as a viewer and you are left to draw your own conclusions and have your own interpretation. It's it's not going to spoon food you explanations. And I personally like that. If Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If it's the right side of, oh, I can see several readings of this, then I'm interested. But if it doesn't give you a foundation to think that, I find it frustrating. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. So, yeah, essentially, if a film's being ambiguous for the hell of it, I I just don't like that. But for anybody who does find ambiguous films annoying in any way, this is is not something for you. It's quite slow-paced and almost in in a meditative way, I would say. Not a lot happens, and you spend a lot of time with John just seeing him live, living out this pretty env- enviable life from a teenager's perspective. He's got the entire house to himself, and a bloody nice house too. He's rinsing his parents' cards for takeaways and expensive TVs. He's blasting classical music out of the house. It's a life we can only dream of when, when we were younger. It is worth saying, don't encourage teenagers to watch this. It'll just give them ideas, um, and you might find yourself at the bottom of a well one day. So I discourage that. But despite the pace, I enjoyed the feeling of unease with this and spending time with this troubled fella. And that's because he gives a really chilling performance. The actor's called Charlie Shotwell. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. He's very good. Uh, Michael C. Hall plays the dad in this. It's nice to see him in something that isn't shit. Dexter. It's not much of a role for him, but he does what he needs to do. It's this lingering atmosphere of uncertainty and foreboding that carries this film through. It isn't complete darkness, though. There's some oddly comical parts that break up the tension, but even that's quite dark in tone. I don't think everybody's going to like it, and if you look on IMDb, the critics versus user scores indicate that. But I came down on the side of thinking it was a nice little oddity of a film that I enjoyed my time with. Is that available on video on demand? It certainly is. I think it cost about 2 99 What else have you been watching? Like most of the world, I've been watching Archive 81, which is a surprise hit for Netflix. There's not been much marketing leading up to this, and it definitely came out of the blue for me. Now, people may not know that alongside being a self-professed sicko and listening to a lot of true crime stuff, I like audio fiction podcasts, and Archive 81 was one that I tried a few years ago, and I forgot all about it. Uh, I did not put two and two together, much like I have when I've read the book of something and don't realise till halfway through the film. But I thought, this feels really familiar, this um, this plot. What's going on here? But like I said, I gave up on the podcast. This, it did manage to keep my attention, or it has so far. I've got two episodes left. It's basically about a guy who is hired by some shady executive to lock himself up in a facility and restore a bunch of 90s VHS tapes for reasons initially unknown. When he starts doing this, he discovers that there's something sinister afoot and there's maybe ulterior motives for him being given this specific job. Does it go back to his traumatic childhood somehow? Rhetorical questions. Much like Yellow Jackets that we've discussed previously and maybe a lot of other things that employ a similar storytelling technique. You see events play out in the modern day, but then you go into the time period in which the historical videotapes were filmed, which coincidentally, just like Yellow Jackets, is the 90s. The main guy is forced to do a lot of reacting to a video screen, and that is 90% of his performance, but he's very good. I've not yet finished it, but as things progress, what starts out as a very nuts and bolts found footage film 
or TV series, it turns into something a lot more complex and it crosses multiple genres. I'll stay there with that because it's part of the joy. I really enjoy the atmosphere of this show. I think it's very claustrophobic and eerie. To go against what I've literally just said about John and the Hall, I don't like TV shows that plod along teasing a lot of interesting ideas but don't have a payoff. I've invested far more time in a TV series than I have a film. And what I liked about this is it does actually feel like it's coming together now and it's building to a satisfactory conclusion. It's not going to go, ha-ha, wait for season two. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying this and I look forward to finishing the last two episodes. Archive 81. On Netflix. On Netflix. I wondered if you would talk about this. Did you recognise Mamudu Ethi from Black Box? Welcome to the Bloom House. You had seen him somewhere before. No, I, I couldn't pin where. There you go. Thank you for clarifying. I watched the first episode of this and it didn't capture my attention and I didn't watch the rest. I did read the episode summary on Wikipedia, so I know what happens, but it didn't grab my attention. And that, that's fair. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. On to you, James. What have you been watching this week? I'll go in depth on two things, but I just want to ask you about Stay Close and the work of Harlan Corbin on Netflix. I noticed that Stay Close was popular, and then Safe and The Stranger also creeped the way into the top ten because of Netflix. And I watched Strange and Strange, The Stranger and Safe recently. And I watched the, most of the first episode of Stay Close. Do you find it's a bit repetitive, what he does? That Even the, the opening of The Stranger and Stay Close is the same. A man leaves a drunken party, runs through a forest, and then it cuts abruptly. Someone from the past returns unexpectedly. These middle-class people living perfect middle-class lives, driving Range Rovers, have secrets in the past and will drag that secret out until someone (laughs) sits down and explains exactly in flashback the whole secret that we've been... It just It seemed a bit repetitive. And do you feel like... There's a lot of different plot elements going on. Like in The Stranger, there is a sick daughter who's been secretly poisoned by her mother. Nothing to do with the main story. It's like Harlan Corbin has random this random selection of salacious twists and smashes them together and hangs it all on. Oh, there's a mystery from the past. Is that what Stay Close is? Yeah, I thought you were talking about it. <laughs> no, I'm talking about that's what Safe and The Stranger no, no, is. No. Is that what Stay Close is as well? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right, okay. I'm not going to give him more credit than he deserves. I think you know that this is my sort of thing and it's the tropes of the genre and I expect them to be there. And for some reason, I'm not tired of it yet, but maybe it's the order in which you've watched them in quick succession because, <laughs> and now you're going to, you might watch the rest and go, no, it's the same with these as well, but the foreign entries like The Innocent and another one, I can't remember what it was called. They were in the middle of like The Stranger and Stay Close. Right. And that might have broke it up a bit. But now that I've said that, I'm almost entirely sure that everything that you've just said is applicable to those as well. Is it The Woods, the other one? Is it The Polish one? Into The Woods? That was the one, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll watch it. Because the thing is, even though The Stranger and Safe, we enjoyed watching it because it is like, oh, I can't believe this stupid thing is happening. (laughs) And that just makes it fun. Not good, but it's fun to be like, why is this happening? Why is he doing that? It is popcorn mystery nonsense. And for some reason... I like that. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to stick up for it. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Which one did you enjoy more? Because I know that you're a bit disappointed by Safe's ending, the one with Michael C. Hall. Did you like The Stranger more or was it oh, just? I liked Safe more. Oh, OK. Fair enough. The Stranger was more random. It lost 
focus on the stranger and the secrets part of it and got a bit messy. Don't watch Stay Close, though. It's, it's the worst of the bunch. It is by far. Just don't bother. Okay. I didn't think we'd gone for that long about Alan Coleman content. But apparently they're going to do loads more of his novels. Did you know that? They're going to do oh, like yeah, 17 like a... adaptations. And I'm there for every single one of them, unless Stay Close was a sign of like a downward trajectory, in which case, no thanks. I want something to get back up to the acceptable level. No, I was going to say Safe or The Stranger. The Innocent, the Innocent. is the benchmark for me. Yeah, Brilliant, brilliant show. Anyway, what have I actually been watching in full? The Apprentice on the BBC, the new series, which is about 16 candidates going through a grueling interview process, completing tasks in teams to get an investment slash job. I think it's an investment from Lord Alan Sugar. I thought I had my insightful and original comment about this, but reviews in the papers have said the same thing, which is that it's amazing how little the format has changed. It's the same programme. A few years ago, the ratings were going down. It was stale. And after being away for a few years, it's back and they haven't changed anything. Apart from one of Lord Sugar's assistants because of a cycling cycling injury. It's the same office. It's the same editing. Same structure of the tasks. Choose a project manager. Awkwardly ignore the person you don't want to be the project manager. Decide an idea. The project manager either loses control or asserts control too much. Split up into sub-teams. They all act a bit stupid and make mistakes and expose their incompetence. Go back to the boardroom, get fired. It's the same, but it's comforting. It's like going back in time to a pre-pandemic world. However, I'm sure in the past, some of the contestants used to actually be good, but now it seems like they're all terrible. They can't communicate or do basic things, like put the name of your company on a logo that you've made for your company. Even we've got that for the In the Isles podcast logo. I am still a fan, though. Three episodes are out at time of recording, and it's still one of the better reality shows out there because people are forced into humiliation every episode. Because of that very fixed structure, you're going to get something every episode. Unlike something like Selling Sunset on Netflix, where sometimes not a lot happens, it relies on throwing the people into these half-manufactured situations, and sometimes not that much actually happens. Oh, you secretly loved that show. No, I do love it. I do love Silent Sunset as well, definitely. But the last season, it seemed like you knew they were trying to set up this conflict between Christina and the new girl, but it just didn't quite explode in the way that you want it to. But with The Apprentice, something's going to happen every episode. Mm. Some cracking quotes. In the previous episode, this guy becomes uh, the project manager, and he says... The most important thing for me is communication. I will listen to what you're doing. But if I disregard what you say, that's the issue closed. We're moving on. And at the end, he says, he unironically says, I was a project manager. I had my vision. I didn't listen to anyone. And we won the task. Validation right there. Do you know everything that you've just criticized The Apprentice for being alongside everything that you've just spoke about with Harlan Coburn has made me realize what a glutton for predictable, safe content I am. I'm starting to feel very, very bad about myself. So not the desired intention, I'm sure, but thanks. Worth pointing out as well, The Apprentice, episode three, they didn't invent a product that looked like a turd, which they managed to do by mistake the first two episodes, which I thought was so hilarious. That was so funny. How do you do that that twice in a row? So you have watched it. You have watched them all as well. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. But then it was genuinely funny and unexpected when in the third task, they still made a brown label 
and it was brown again. And that Aaron guy, who I think is the one, one like he seems like the only actual useful one. Aaron actually started laughing uncontrollably. Do you know him? No. Do you know oh, him? All right. So he's from West Orton. And I, as soon as we went, I didn't know he was from West Orton when I watched it. And I was like, he used to go to our school. I'm sure of it. I recognize his face. And then somebody said, well, he's from West Orton. I was like, hmm. I've not fact checked, but I just wondered if he looked familiar to you. That's all. Let's support Aaron. Yeah. Aaron to yeah. win. What else have you been watching? The Journalist on Netflix. It's a Japanese drama about Japanese government corruption that no one is watching. And Netflix recommended it to me because Netflix knows that I watch a lot of Asian content. It's got hardly any IMDb ratings. Have you heard of this? I don't believe I have, no. So it must be the the algorithm isn't showing it to you. The Japanese prime minister is involved in a dodgy land deal where public land is sold at a heavily discounted price to a school. And everyone suspects corruption, but only one brave journalist, played by Ryoko Yunekura, relentlessly pursues the case it's called the journalist but it's an ensemble series also focusing on civil servants who struggle with being told to do illegal things but this is illegal i can't do this and young graduates who are entering adult life and struggling with the kind of world they're entering it's not the most explosive or dramatic series ever it's no squid game it's no my name well they're both korean it tries to squeeze excitement out of people writing articles and looking up things on the internet, like really dramatic music for people Googling things. But it's well acted. There's a reasonable amount of political intrigue and emotional threads to keep you interested. I never thought that I would be moved by scenes of newspapers being printed, but that did happen. It's fine. I watched it on 1.25 speed on my phone, so um, I did cut 20% off the runtime. Up until the last sentence, it's fine. I thought, oh, this is, yeah, brilliant. He's all for this. And then you just dulled it out at the end. Fair enough. Don't think that's going to make it onto my this year's watch list, but um, not a complete and utter waste of time then. No, I'm just glad to see some high quality Japanese content on Netflix, as in it has a budget. It looks good. Because yeah. there's this other thing called Japan Sinks, People of Hope, that I don't think it was Netflix produced, but it was so cheap, embarrassingly cheap looking. So to see Did this, you talk about it on this podcast? Japan Sinks was an anime last year, but then they've done Japan oh. Sinks, People of Hope, which is a drama. Yeah, nice to see that content arriving on Netflix and not finding an audience at all. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? No. Should we go on to real news? Let's. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Staying in that area of the world from Polygon.com, Fight Club's new government approved ending is very different in China. Spoilers for Fight Club. At the end, Tyler Durden's anarchist group successfully blows up some buildings. But in the ending that's recently been released in China, just as the end is going to come, it cuts to a text screen that reads, Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic asylum receiving psychological treatment. He was discharged from hospital in 2012. 
I'll let you know where my head went when you were going through that. I took it as a literal text, as in text message on a phone right. was displayed on screen. And I thought, what an oddly formal text that is. Yeah. But I've just understood what you mean. And I'm not sure that's less weird than what I was thinking, if mm. I'm honest. It was a, it's a caption. I should be more clear. That's the technical term, I think. And according to Polygon, it's not clear who's done the censorship, whether it's Disney who own the rights to Fight Club, which I thought was weird, or by Tencent Video. But interesting, I thought, just more of censorship going on in that country. And forgive me, you lost, or I lost connection to you when you started this whole news story. Has it been banned up until this point, did you say? I don't know. Sorry. Okay. No, it's fine. So there you go. If you want an alternative take on Fight Club, seek out the Chinese release, which will give you just that. What real news do you have? Some that I know you're not going to be very happy about. Mission Impossible 7 and 8, a blooming delayed again. What? Yep. Uh, Mission Impossible 7, which was initially due out in 20... Was it 2020 or 2019? I've lost track now. I've lost track as well. Let's just say ages ago, they'd settled on this year, and no, now we're going to have to wait an extra year. It will be out on July 14th, 2023. Initial thoughts, James? It. I can't believe it. I just can't. Why? When haven't they filmed it? Didn't Weren't they filming it in a, in a COVID-secure way? So why delay it now? I think this is down to... Obviously, there's been a bit of a boost box office-wise. We're returning to see normal-ish numbers. Uh, Spider-Man, obviously, prime example of that. But we're not out of the woods yet, and I think this is a... Let's get the most amount of money possible for these films. But my worry is, as much as me and you are Tom Cruise fans, I fear there's going to be some Scientology-related revelation which will fully cancel him before next year, Mm. and it will just not have the box office effect that they're desiring. That's a possibility for me. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this other than annoyed. Yeah, very annoyed. You're right. They might come for Tom Cruise and cancel him. Well, he does have the Sea Corp looking after him, so hopefully that can protect him for the next few years. Yeah. What else have you got? This isn't something that I stumbled across as news rather than just learning of its existence. Did you know that The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is being remade by Peacock into a drama series, a straight-up drama series? And I've watched the trailer, and my word is it serious. It's, I mean, it's saying it's dramatic retelling so i'd anticipate that is what it looks like but seems very centered on race and police and i i don't know how i feel about this taking a beloved property and apparently i was not a huge fan of the fresh principle i told my missus this and she said well that it did tackle some quite prickly topics at the time uh which i didn't remember so that's not completely alien to this property but uh, just a weird take that i didn't foresee happening who's playing will smith's character jabari banks plays will okay in the original was will smith playing a character called will smith i think he was called will right well what i find weird in this one is in the trailer obviously he's called will but he's wearing a basketball shirt that says smith on the back so might be a reference a very subtle reference now that you now that you mentioned what your partner said about the original fresh prince of bella yes i think it did get serious sometimes there were messages in there there's a classic scene where will 
Smith cries about his father leaving him and he says something like, why doesn't anybody want me? And his uncle hugs him. And when his uncle's hugging him, he just like knocks his, his cap off. And you can hear the audience, the live audience crying. I don't see how you can top that. Does that scene end with him giving him a wedgie? No. Oh. <laughs> I've got a really weird memory of what that show was. I might have to rewatch it. From Bel Air to Belfast. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Belfast. We all have a story to tell. But what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. Mama says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, then they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. So racked with guilt by the abomination of Artemis Fowl, Kenneth Branagh makes one of the films of the year and the best of his career. Although this love letter to Belfast has been criticised for presenting the great city as one single street of terrace houses. A young boy and his working class Belfast family experience the tumultuous late 1960s. Daniel, what did you think of Belfast? You've already mentioned it, Kenneth Branagh, he's got a lot of making up to do. His track record on this podcast is appalling. Might have meant to one film, but Artemis Fowl left a foul taste in my mouth that still causes me to feel sick whenever I think about it. But let's not ignore his back catalogue. That was a minor speed bump in his career, and he's perfectly capable of knocking out some very decent films, if that's whether it be acting or directing. So. We'll put that aside. As for this film, I knew about the positive critical reception before I watched it, but that was about it. I was quite looking forward to going in blind. And it starts with a nice little musical montage of Belfast in modern day, full colour glory. And then drain the screen of all colour. We're in black and white, 1969 Belfast. And there's families and kids playing in the street. All very jovial. Suddenly some rioting erupts and the piece is is well and truly disturbed. And I thought that is a very powerful way to suck me into this film. I'm in for the ride. And then it kind of abandons that pretty serious event in favour of some more light-hearted family stuff as you see this family try and retain some sense of normality amidst the chaos of the troubles by just joshing about, having a laugh. It's pleasant. It does feel very at odds with what's going on around them. I don't think that's an oversight on behalf of Kenneth Branagh. I think he wants to strike the balance of telling a very personal story, a very serious story, but not having it be bogged down by the bleakness of the times. But I did find it difficult to pin down exactly what this film wanted to be, and that carried on until the credits. To give him his due, I think I know what he was trying to do was seeing the majority of this film through the eyes of a young lad, Buddy, who very good actor in this, And it's meant to comment, or at least I thought it was, on the innocence of youth and how oblivious we are to things that are going on around us at that age. 
But I'm not 100% certain that it worked for me. And even if I take that into consideration, you're not telling me that they had this much fun. This time period, if you ignore what's going on around them, how do they manage to have so much fun? There's no PlayStations about. They're laughing, they're playing. It just didn't strike me as real, but that's, that's nitpicky. I'm not saying there's not an attempt to address or highlight serious issues. There's plenty of scenes where there's like radio news reports about what's actually going on and it lingers in the background of pretty innocuous day-to-day stuff. But the general tone is just too whimsical and even the music amplifies that by being largely upbeat and it just lost that dramatic edge for me personally. The themes are there, I'm not disputing that but they're just too lazily shoved in like religion for example religion is a huge thing in this is the catalyst for a lot of this strife but it's not really explored it's just there i'm fully willing to admit i might have lost the point i know this is a film about hope and that's what it should be kind of promoting but i just found the juxtaposition of that comedy and drama a bit askew and i couldn't quite marry it up in my head as i say what it was going for i also if i'm just being a div a, a dick and I'm being critical I don't know what the benefit of filming this in black and white was especially if you're going to feature a cinema screen in full colour it reeks of self-indulgence for me a bit it's obviously Kenneth Branagh going oh my love for cinema helped me through these times it was a form of escapism and oh wasn't I cute and good at maths but back to the cinema stuff it doesn't comment on the art form of cinema enough to warrant the use of the colour and go this is what I'm trying to do um, I don't even know if that makes sense, but hopefully it does. The cast are all good. No qualms with that. I actually fell a bit in love with the woman from Outlander. She was very good. I don't think I've seen her in anything before other than the screen caps that I researched later. Judy Dench is just there because she's Judy Dench. My grandma could have done this. She's not bringing a lot to the party and she's losing her marbles quickly. Um, so that kind of tells you what performance is in there. James... I'm a deeply ignorant person, you know this, and I didn't live through this time period. These aren't struggles I relate to, but I don't ordinarily need to have direct experience of something like this for it to resonate with me, and this film just didn't. It's a bit of a nothing film, in my opinion. But what did you think? I'm really shocked. I'm shocked. I will say up front that I think this film is brilliant. It should win all the awards, and I can see it being in my top five in 11 months' time. Well, in the absence of a conflicts of interest section, we've got one anyway. Yeah. Here we go. Let's change the theme music. I could feel in every scenario that this is based on Kenneth Branagh's life, and it was so real, and that's what made it so great for me. Not the story, which is pretty standard coming of age with the historical backdrop. A young boy goes to school. His parents are struggling with money. They might leave Belfast. The troubles are going on. Very much in the background, not the focus. It's just a backdrop. The story did drag a little bit just before the end when things are set up that didn't come to a head, like the threats from that guy that's saying, oh, join us. But every single scene has an authenticity that made it good. For example, the outhouse, the outside toilet, being a place for private conversation outside the house, but they can still be heard anyway by the women that are in the house. The grandparents hanging around and commenting on things. The shots where Judy Dench is in the corner in the background just listening i love that that sense of space and the blocking the sense of the street that they live in being a real place because it is a real place it's not on blue screen but it felt like a real place where real people 
lived together and the amount of time that people spend outside talking to each other. The rusty wheelbarrow propped up against the wall, it was all captured so perfectly. It was similar to This Is England, one of my all-time favourite films, with Stephen Graham. There's even a shoplifting scene, but it's much, much less harrowing than This Is England. Even though the Troubles provide the setting, it's not a political drama, it's not violent or complicated. I think it's entirely from the boy's perspective, Buddy. It's, I think it's entirely from his perspective. He doesn't really get what's going on. It's all at the start of it anyway, so it's not that much a part of people's lives. And I read some comments on a review that I'll talk about in a minute that said, I was there at the time, at this time, it was in the background. It didn't affect people there today. So this is an accurate portrayal. A more wild comparison is to Gangs of New York, the Martin Scorsese film, because it's about a city and the people's memories of living there and people throughout history making a place. What it is, and the ending specifically, reminded me of Gangs of New York, but it's not a gangs, like a violent film. The cinematography, I really liked it a lot. It's all still perfectly framed, beautiful shots that perfectly capture the objects, the furniture, the place. You feel like you're living with them, not just there, but actually living with them. And it's in black and white, which for me made me focus more on the different graphical elements, like the objects in the frame. It wasn't washed out with the different colours distracting you from things. And I think that the black and white, it placed it in the past as a memory and emphasised that this is from a boy's perspective and not an actual document of the past. That's what I thought was going on. The cast are all perfect. Katriona Bath from Outlander should be more famous, should be in more things. I love her. Jamie Dornan continues to deliver on this podcast. And I read that all the cast have a connection to Northern Ireland or Belfast or Ireland, and that makes everything more personal. You can feel the personal vibe coming through with everything. Despite the historical backdrop, I thought this was a uplifting, joyous film. And the Van Morrison songs are great. Fantastic. Brilliant. Five stars, 10 out of 10. Masterpiece. And 10 out of 10. 10, 10. out of 10. Nine. Nine out of ten for where at the maybe one hour, 15, 20 minute mark, I thought, is it, are these is anything gonna really happen? No, it's mm. not. It's not about that, but I'm still enjoying it. I will echo what you said about the soundtrack. I think it's a very good soundtrack. I've literally only just watched it, so I've not had the pleasure of revisiting those songs, but um I did like what I listened to. And I'm really glad you provided that context around one of my main issues saying oh, I just question how real this is. Somebody who's lived through that saying, no, this is actually quite authentic and it was very much a backdrop thing, pretty much just turns my entire argument to shreds. So even though this is subjective and we're allowed opinions, I can be wrong and I'm fully willing to be wrong. So it just didn't capture me. I didn't care, really. It was just, I think, again, as well, because we are now making an effort to go to the cinema more, I want those to be films that are deserved of being a cinema experience and i'm not saying this isn't like the craft isn't isn't there because it is i think you're right some of the cinematography is great and it looks very good but it's just not it doesn't demand that you go to the cinema to watch it and i think that was another reason why i was quite deflated that's a very good point um but it doesn't, I'm, have, it doesn't I'm, have that big film feel which is fine not every film's got to be like that some of them can just be good yeah and i, I think you very eloquently said as well that 
because it's not something I drew massive attention to. It was mainly, I've got a problem with this, but the the strife and the, the troubles being in the backdrop and not being the focal point, I took as a bad thing because it's like, why are you not tackling these issues? But that's not the purpose of this film. And I recognise that, I did, but I just, maybe that's what I've come to expect is, or my expectation without knowing anything, was this is going to be a hard-hitting drama, and it's not. And I was really surprised to find out that it was described as a comedy drama. Yeah. Because um, it's just not the approach that I was expecting. So maybe I took a bit of baggage into this. But yeah, I'm really pleased that you liked it. It's interesting, your review, because I was going to bring up the review in The Observer from Simran Hans, and she gave it two stars and said, Kenneth Branagh's monochrome film of growing up in the 60s, Northern Ireland, offers nostalgia, but avoids getting to grips with the troubles. And it's basically complaining that the film isn't political enough. And in the comments on theguardian.com, she's just getting ripped to shreds completely. <laughs> being like just saying how wrong she is and how you shouldn't review a film for what you wanted it to be. Review it for what it is. I was there. It was a backdrop at that time. This is a bad review. So I'm not saying you've given a bad review. I'm saying it's interesting no. that the things about you thought it would get get to grips more. This professional critic has said the same thing. Whereas for me, I was I accepted this from his perspective, from Buddy's perspective. So it's not going to tackle that extremely complicated situation. And I know that wasn't what you were saying, but I'll just put it out there. Didn't read that article, so I can't be accused of plagiarism. Nope. Um, <laughs> um, but that's, that is a very good point that I will take into my amateur criticism going forward, because I think that is important to view a film as it is and not what you expected it to be. Because that is, personally, if I'm being honest with myself, that's how I come into every review is, does this meet my expectations? And maybe that's not right. But maybe that's why I'm more constantly disappointed in life. Maybe that's a life lesson. We did it with The Matrix Resurrections, though, but I think it was fine to do it with Matrix Resurrections, where we were both saying we wanted this film to be what it wasn't, and for that reason, we didn't like it. Yeah, and I think the general point, more more general point on that is, if that film was anything, anything other than what it was, that would have been fine. Yes. <laughs> Should we go into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Jamie Dornan gets a job in England. His family leave. Grandad dies. Judy Dench stays behind and says, you go, son. And it ends with a transition back into modern day colour shots of Belfast and says, this is dedicated to the people that left, people that stay behind and those we lost. Sort of a Gangs of New York style. Ending, if you remember the final shots of Gangs in New York. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, actually. Sorry. Okay. Not a lot to talk about in spoilers. Did you notice the Thor reference? Oh, the Thor. They reference Thor. I noticed it when I read the IMDb trivia page. Right, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I wouldn't have noticed. He reads a Thor comic book. Yeah. That's it. What I was referring to with things that don't pay off, one of the politically active people shall we say he's constantly trying to recruit jamie dornan into the cause and i think he owns a gun or it seems like people are not gonna live to the end of this film mm -hmm. and that was around the point where i thought is this gonna go dark is that what's gonna happen but it doesn't at all like everyone there's sadness in it but everyone survives and it stays light-hearted 
But did you think yeah. that there was going to be a horrible pull the rug from under your feet? This isn't funny. Jamie Darnold gets shot in in the neck while he's putting the bins out. No, I I didn't actually because there'd just not been any commitment to that side of things other than a sparsely inserted. Here's a bit of a dramatic moment. I thought no, I I do think this is what this film is going to be. Is just a light-hearted sort yeah. of, and it's not completely light-hearted. But I just got that as the tone, and I don't think they're going to try and play on my emotions by having a, a horrific ending. I just didn't get that sense from it. I came to that the realisation as well. Still, I still yeah. really, really enjoyed it, though. One of my favourite scenes from the, the third act was when Ma, the mother, Catriona Balfe from Outlander, she does a big monologue, and it's there's a close-up on her, and she basically says, OK, let's leave Belfast. We need to have a better life. That was such a good scene. That was like Oscar real scene. And then it is a close up on her and it cuts back to the three men, the three males in the house all lined up on the sofa. That was such a good shot. Two shots, close up, cut to father and two sons, lined up, perfect. And to backtrack and make amends for things that I've said, um, you said there's moments of real life authenticity in it. And I, I will sound like a complete hypocrite now because I've said, I just didn't feel the tone was was felt real. But I'm not denying that there are moments in this film, interactions between characters that feel very raw and authentic. That is definitely there. I just, I just had a problem with the tone of it. That was my complaint. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that exists in this film. There are fine performances and dramatic moments like that. I just wanted to ask you, just to see if you had an answer. There's a very notable, because it's the only shot that's lingered in my head, Notable shot of Jamie Dornan, low angle, his back pointing upwards towards his huge domineering frame and then the sky above him. That's done again later on with the gang guy with his gun in the back of his pocket. What's the sort of symbolism there or what am I meant to read from it? I liked it. I thought it was a very good shot, but I didn't know why they used the same thing twice. What Did you get any reading from that? I don't remember those shots specifically. But what it might be is that when you're young, adults seem like huge towering figures. So maybe it's supposed to be that, that in Kenneth Branagh's memory, these were huge figures. I think that's a very fine interpretation. You've answered my uh, question and I'll take that to be my reading as well. Thank you. I think that might be it then. Yeah, it's a difficult film to drag out content for spoilers for, isn't it? It's yeah. just... Uh... It's one of those. We've had them in the past. There's only about four or five that have fit into this category, but this is one of them. Yeah, The Killing of Two Lovers was another one, I think. Well, we'll just call it quits there then. Yeah, but let's energetically let it trail off. Yeah. And end the conversation. Woo! James, what are we reviewing next week? Come on, hurry up. Know. Keep the energy up. What is it? It's TBC to be confirmed at the moment because it looks like nothing's coming out. Right, well, what an absolute cliffhanger to leave the audience on. Ooh, what will it be? You'll have to tune in next week to find out or just look at the title of the episode and don't listen. The choice is yours. Please listen, though. If you wish to support this podcast, as always, leave us some feedback by emailing us at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram or leave us a five-star review and rating every little helps. Another Tesco reference there. Really pushing for that sponsorship. James, any black and white thoughts to leave our audience with? 
if you have an iPhone and you want to make any photo look like Belfast, choose the noir filter. Lovely stuff. I'll do that right now. See you next week. Bye.